Welcome to the Shutdown Fullcast. Oh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little bloody this week. J- Jason Kirk? Hey, make ointments for that. Feeling, I'm, I'm feeling in my hemoglobin on this here. It's not better. The old <laughs> college football podcast on this here internet. I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little, a little low in my iron. So Spencer, I, I, Spencer what is hemoglobin? Hemoglobin is the carrier of oxygen. It's what oxygen binds to on a red blood cell. You learned wow. that on a bot. He learned that on a weightlifting message board. Darn right. How do you think you get the gains? You got to get the O2 and the uh, steak. That's what binds. <laughs> I mean, where else do we learn any biology facts other than weightlifting message boards? Other than I get a, I got a PhD in human performance from tnation.com university. Okay. But I was uh, using this as a way to uh, segue clumsily through uh, a very poorly written Wikipedia entry on blood oxygen transfer uh, to our topic this week. Uh, Jason, you want to you want to learn them up on our on our favorite thing that happens in college football, which is Blood Week. Blood Week. So, blood Week. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, I believe it was Ryan who coined the term of blood week which has since as in the one season since become a thing that members of our extended podcast universe look forward to each college football season saturday you know like a a, a, the weekend's falling apart we've had a you know the number three team is lost or or whatever and immediately we see listeners start saying "Uh uh-oh uh-oh is this the blood week is this the blood week and every season is going to have at least one uh, and, and you sort of know it once it's happened or, or as it's happening. It's when lots of top teams are losing upsets. You know, the, the, the bigger the upset, the better. Everything is falling apart. Everything's going to shit. Usually it happens right around the middle of the season. Jason, can you give us a super famous example? Well, I think the two examples that we've had in this in this <laughs> in the Blood Week era have been last year's week seven, which Georgia loses to LSU. Uh, West Virginia loses as a top 10 team. Washington and Penn State lose as top 10 teams. Uh, Colorado, Auburn, and Miami also ranked and lost upsets. Uh, The previous year's Week 7 was the one that launched this whole concept. Clemson loses to Syracuse. Washington State gets blown the fuck out by a 5-7 Cal team. Washington scores like two points against Arizona State's terrible defense. And four other ranked teams lose to unranked teams. So... What we're, what we're going to attempt to do here is we would like to sort of view this historically. Let's find some other blood weeks throughout time. Um, and we've taken a look at sort of, let's start with week one, which is kind of a nebulous concept in college football because you're kind of, depending on the era of the sport, you might be lumping in a little bit of week zero, a little bit of week two. But basically, let's go with the point in the season at which everyone has played a game. And it's called that week one, basically. Um, and I had a few contender week ones that we could have considered blood weeks to sort of run through real quick. But then there's one that we're going to go through in detail. Um, and you can't go past really 1950 for this if you're talking preseason because there was no preseason poll before then. Um, but Partici- let's say- Participation trophy culture, y'all. When people say, what's the point of preseason rankings? I want this episode to be the answer for you <laughs> because there's so much comedy we would not have without those little numbers next yeah, to you, how can you how can you fall if we don't put you on a pedestal to start the season? 
Right. How can we well, laugh at Notre Dame and USC every year? They're full of rum, but you know. <laughs> Go Tigers. So 1960, you have five top 13 teams losing right away to unranked teams. One of those is number four, Texas, to uh, Nebraska, I believe. Mm. Uh, Weird, Weird. Texas getting a high ranking and then forfeiting it quickly. Hmm. Yeah, that never happens. Uh, 1976, four top 10 teams lose upsets and five other ranked teams lose twice, including Miami of Ohio twice as the number 20 team. And that's when we as a nation great. that's when we as a nation turned on them. Never again, Miami of Ohio. We've Scree. had it with your shit. You broke, you broke our hearts. <laughs> you are 0-2 at number 20. <laughs> I was gonna make the noise of an actual red hawk into the mic, but I thought it might blow the speakers out. Scree! Scree. I think yeah, I think once you're 0 and 2, it's it's like a scree. <laughs> it's like a little it's like a sad, roomy Nazgul. <laughs> scree. Uh, so it, you have to sort of change the standards as you go through from era to era because now teams play 12 games, which means they start with a bullshit opponent. Um, 2005. This is into the deep into the cupcake era. Still, five ranked teams lose upsets right away, including an Oklahoma that had just participated in the BCS title game. I use the word participated generously. That was the one where they lost by about a billion points. Uh, 2007. Speaking of cupcakes. <clears throat> so basically nothing happened in week one of the craziest season in college football history except for except. <laughs> number five Michigan lost its cupcake game to an FCS team that it was actually a cupcake made of nails. That you might was, have heard that. That was that was a mistake there. You you ordered the just dang it. Do, do we really want to punch on Michigan this week? They're having a minute. <laughs> They're sending guys to the pros. I don't see what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. that's an excellent point. I mean, I'm just reading the facts here. So it's just, just what the card said. Like, uh, yeah. Can I can I go ahead and just make fun of John Balin for this? That his great escape at the age of 66 from Michigan was to Cleveland. Ann Arbor is a beautiful town. I wouldn't go to Cleveland from Ann Arbor. <laughs> I want to change it up. You know, I'm 66. I work hard for things. I, you know where I think I'm going to go? Cleveland. Listen, just paving the way for Tom Crean, baby. Yeah, let's focus. Focus on Tom Crean. Crean's coming home. Come on, Mama's man. calling. Mama's, Mama's calling. <laughs> More <laughs> technically, mother in mother in law is calling, but still. I mean, he he's from he, he went to college in Michigan or, or whichever yeah, it was, right? His brother in law is Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. yeah. So, and uh, if you're, there's one thing about being related to Jim Harbaugh, it's that you want to be closer to him than you already are. <laughs> Definitely an excuse for more Jim Harbaugh in your life. Although, oh, if only I could borrow his pants. You're bu- you're bunking with me, but I can buy my own house. No way. You're Jim sleeping Harbaugh at my house. A couple lessons in, in losing with grace. Uh, maybe Tom Crean can help him out as a mentor on that front. The uh, the other contender for a week one blood week is recent. 2016, three top 10 teams lose upsets, including number three LSU to unranked Wisconsin and four other ranked teams lose. This was slaughter right out of the gates. And I think I don't I don't think it really registered to that level. Can't spell um, slaughter without laughter. The greatest opening blood week in college football history comes to us from 1990, which was a crazy season in general. You had one champ that never won a title before. You had another champ that hadn't been at, in the top 10 at any point since 1966. <laughs> um 18 different teams ranked in the top five at least once, the most of any season ever. We looked this up as part of our 2000 season package, which you should go read about on the internet. Um, And like, this was the season where like, you know, a team got five downs and that mattered a lot. Virginia mattered. This was a very stupid season. It was stupid from the very beginning, which uh, 
it was actually a week zero. Actually, actually, before it got really stupid, there was a an early upset that sort of set the tone and would come to cir- circle ra- back around to mattering by the end, uh, which is a week zero kickoff game in Anaheim called the Disneyland Pigskin Classic. What could go wrong in Disneyland? <laughs> What what about a tradition of unsatisfying sporting events happening in Anaheim Stadium hmm. uh, could possibly happen here? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I, I should point out first of all that well, while we're talking about, uh, and, and I would like to start this off by saying that people have always thought, and I have newspaper evidence I've accumulated uh, researching this game. Uh, people have always thought these week zero neutral site games were kind of bullshit. Um, you can see, you can look at a lot of the newspaper coverage, both in, we're talking about Tennessee and Colorado, by the way, I should point this out. Colorado ranked number five coming into the 1990 season, Tennessee coming in ranked number eight. Uh, this is the inaugural Disneyland pigskin classic played in mall country of Anaheim stadium. And even back then people thought these games were kind of weird. You can see it referred to uh, in newspaper coverage from both schools as a preseason game. Although I think both schools <laughs> might have wished that this actually had been a preseason game and then didn't end up counting. Uh, so the game ended 31 31, which is kind of funny, but you know, ties were ties were a thing back then. Uh, and it's not as not as remarkable as it obviously would be today because they didn't take it into overtime. Uh, I applaud both teams for wanting to spend as little time in Anaheim as possible. So why did this matter? Uh, Colorado would end the season ranked number one. Uh, they would beat number five Notre Dame along the way. Uh, along the way, they would also lose to Illinois, which is weird, but Illinois was ranked number 21, which makes it even funnier. Uh, and then follow that up by immediately beating Texas in Austin. Sure. Uh, they, they would then beat Nebraska at Nebraska 27-12, to 12, and Nebraska, I believe, was ranked third at the time. So this, was, this game was more of a harbinger for a blood season for Colorado is what I'm, is what I'm really trying to get at. For Tennessee, this, was not, uh, this didn't end up affecting – things a whole bunch uh tennessee would lose would go on to lose twice that season they'd finish the year eighth they would tie auburn also along the way uh lost to bama and notre dame i don't like this season i don't like this season at all although they did beat number nine florida 43 to 3 because blood week can take a minute to work its way out of the bloodstream once the program becomes exposed uh Tennessee and Colorado would have another common opponent that season in Notre Dame. Uh, Tennessee lost to Notre Dame. Remember, 29 to 34. uh, Won the SEC and beat Virginia in the Sugar Bowl. So, the game itself. There were five touchdowns scored in the fourth quarter. (laughs) And this is is 1990. Everybody's on the ground. There were five touchdowns scored in the fourth quarter, scored in such a fashion that Colorado blew a two-score lead twice in one period. Wow. Well, once you do it once, you know how. So. <laughs> um, Tennessee did have the ball again as time expired, but only made it as far as the 16. And there was some minor feather. If you look at the front page of the New Sentinel or the Tennessean, um, at the time, the left-hand side uh, says a Disney deadlock, and it's the account of the game. And the right-hand column is all people bitching about how Johnny Major should have gone for two after UT's final touchdown. But there were five touchdowns scored in that period. He had no 
I'm not a Johnny Majors enthusiast, as we long-time listeners of this panel know, but he had no reason to think there wasn't going to be five or six more touchdowns. Should have um, kicked the field goal from the, his own 16. Yeah, clearly. Um, so, but all these questions paled next to what would be thrown at Colorado a few weeks later, because Colorado was going through it, man. This was also the fifth down game season. Uh, my favorite part about the fifth down game, the Colorado-Missouri game in 1990, is that the officials didn't lose count of the downs at the end. They lost count after the second down, actually, <laughs> in that series, and nobody noticed. Uh, and that game was just uh, – that, that game was like a layer cake of controversies. There was the, the lost count of downs, the did – Charles Johnson, Colorado's backup quarterback, even crossed the goal line. Uh, Bill McCartney, of course, co- coach of Colorado, had played at Missouri. So was was he a plant? Uh, speaking of plants, Missouri's shitty field had led to a bunch of slips and falls, and everyone was mad at that anyway. Um, but yeah, this was a, this blood week was a harbinger for things to come for Colorado, and they ended up sharing the title with an undefeated Georgia Tech. Uh, and I would like to close out my remarks on this game by pointing out that despite having two top 10 teams and Disneyland backed branding for this uh, neutral site week zero game, only 33,000 people <laughs> to see Colorado and Tennessee play. Uh, early season neutral site games have always been bullshit. Mass has ended. Go in peace. <laughs> the, um, so if Johnny Majors had gone for two there in that situation, you would either have an outright Colorado national title at the end because Colorado's strength of schedule this year was completely insane, or you would have an outright Georgia Tech national title because you would have a two-loss Colorado that should have been a three-loss Colorado. So, like Georgia Tech was the only undefeated team that season, but Colorado, after losing to goddamn Illinois and tying Tennessee in the first three weeks, went on to be a one, two, three, four, five-ranked teams uh, if you count their Orange Bowl win over Notre Dame. Uh, including, of course, number three, Nebraska, in the first week of November at Lincoln. Yeah, this is, I think, uh, SRS, Sports References, Strength of Schedule Metric, has them. I looked at it earlier. It's either number two or number three in the country in Strength of Schedule, which is is really fucking hard to go through that with only one official loss. Uh, so, like, if they'd beaten Tennessee, they would have had the outright title. You know, in it, but otherwise, Tech would have had. So basically, thank you, Johnny Majors, for making this season as bullshit as it was. Hey, everybody's good at something. Solomonic in his wisdom. The weirdest thing about this is that Colorado was really good. Like, absolutely fantastically good. Yeah. Yeah. They were. I mean, setting aside, they split the title, and so we're going to make fun of them, but they won the Big Eight. Uh, they won the Orange Bowl. Man, they beat Nebraska and Lincoln. I mean, I think the weirdest thing is that. Right. I think I think the weirdest thing is that they lost to an Illinois team, and that wasn't disqualifying for a national championship at the time. Yeah. Happened to Ohio State a few years later. <laughs> you know what? Wait, now hang on. Now I want to look at the 1990 Illinois team and see what else they ended up doing. I will tell you why they weren't coming out to the game in Anaheim. They they had to go see uh, Delta Force Two, the Columbian Connection. Jesus. Chuck <laughs> Norris, which came out two days prior. Congratulations, Spencer has done five minutes of Wikipedia research. <laughs> oh, brother, I'm about to put you, I'm about to dunk you in the biggest trash can of information. Oh wow. Illinois so Illinois had opened that season with a loss at Arizona. Blood week. <laughs> which, was, which was the wait, Illinois had a week one bye. 
lost to Arizona in week two, beat Colorado in week three, uh, and then went on through a season in which they mostly beat good teams and lost to bad teams, uh, except they lost to Clemson in the Hall of Fame Bowl in Tampa. Mm, by a score of what? <laughs> by a score of 30 to nothing. Yeah, so we're including Illinois in Blood Week uh, Week 1 here because like, yeah. you know, several teams just didn't play in just 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 disrupted traditional norms of Week 1 <laughs> as teams did at the time and Illinois came into the season ranked number 11 and lost to Arizona. So this counts. Yeah. Arizona yeah. was unranked. This is Biggest- the biggest garbage can of information is in the running for Shutdown Fullcast tagline, just so you know. <laughs> also, this was uh, an Illinois team that uh, was recovering from the loss of Jeff George, first-round draft pick. He can still start. He can still start today. Put him out there. They could use him. I love looking at the scores of this era and just like kind of basking in the warmth of how much they feel of a place. Like The Illinois beat Michigan State 15-13. Uh, to 13. In that, but then you, you scroll down and you see, wait a second. Okay, they lost to Iowa. Iowa was ranked 13th at the time. They lost 28 to 54 to Iowa at home. Ohio yeah. State did that too. Ah, many, many people are saying this is an Iowa team that also put up 56 points on Northwestern, 45 on Iowa State, and 63 on Cincy. So. Welcome to our 1990 Illinois football podcast. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is somebody's kink, and they are having the best time. Oh, PAPM, we're out for your audience share. (laughs) So coming into this season and sort of like from that week zero game onward, things were making sense. Miami was your number one. They were your defending reigning national champion. They had at least a couple dozen draft picks on the roster. They were followed by uh, Notre Dame, FSU, uh, teams that had finished behind them the year before. Auburn was right up there. They just won the Iron Bowl over like a number two Alabama. So like there was no reason to suspect anything was awry. Um, <laughs> Miami, of course, number one Miami, took off the uh, week point uh, five, I guess, and picked it up in week one, Mark two, with, uh, with whom, Ryan? BYU, a road game in Utah. Um, this was... Man, this Miami team was fucking good. At least they had been the year before. The the year before this game, uh, the opponent passing yards they allowed by game, 96, 85, 301, the one outlier, 141, 109, 142, 134, 154, 163, 106, 214. An average of 149 passing yards allowed per game. I could not find the stats for um, the Eastern Carolina game. I'm going to guess that they didn't bump this number up. Um, Gracious. And then Ty Detmer came came along. And Ty Detmer threw 54 passes for 406 yards and two touchdowns and one pick uh, against the Miami Hurricanes in a game where he took – Several big hits, but only got sacked twice. Sidestepped a bunch of other big hits. The uh, you can go back and find the full video, the full uh, video of this game on YouTube. I won't tell you where because that's how the authorities will catch us. Um, but on, I believe it's what is the go-ahead touchdown for BYU in the third quarter. He sidesteps two Miami defenders who essentially collide into each other. It's like watching 
a, a Three Stooges thing unfold in front of you. Uh, but the true hero of this game, even though Ty, Ty Detmer was great, Earl Kaufman yes! for BYU. Earl Rising. Does anybody... The, the leg of thunder. Earl, the booming Earl, Mormon. Now, Earl Kaufman was the field goal kicker, the punter, and he handled kickoffs. In this game, he made two of three field goals. He averaged 53 yards a punt on four punts, and all six of his kickoffs went unreturned. He was... Also brought snacks. That's probably true. Yeah. What's an what's an Earl? Well, Jason would know. What's an Earl bringing snack wise to a football game? Well, according to the internet, Earl Kaufman is a junior high school guidance counselor. So, no wow. man on earth is more qualified to bring snacks. Mm, thumbprint cookies. Um, who's who's at this game? Who's the who's the offensive coordinator for BYU? It's Norm Chow. Who are assistants on this Miami team? Ed Orgeron and Tommy Tuberville. Who's playing offensive lineman? I think he's. I don't think he was a starter. I'm not sure. Mario, Brian, Chris, can we pause for a quick game. Sure. How old is Ed Ogeron? I'm not sure. I could pin him down to a decade. Uh, I know he's older than Tommy Tuberville, based on when they graduated from college. Uh, what's your What's your guess? Everybody, give me a guess. Uh, between twenty and one hundred and eighty. <laughs> okay, Jason is Jason is correct. I'm putting, okay. I'm putting Ed Ogeron at fifty-seven. Spencer hit it on the dot. Wow. Wow. 57, uh, a, f- uh, a couple months away from 58. Old guy. Anyway, thank you for entertaining that. It just, I never, I never think of him as being any age, but whatever the hell age he is now. Um, I do recommend you go back and watch the fourth quarter of this game. The, the whole game is actually very entertaining, but the fourth quarter, uh, it, you end the third with BYU up 28 21, which is the final score. Spoiler. But this is what happens. Miami starts with the ball. They already have the ball at the end of the third. They're at their own 40. They get to the BYU 15, and on first down, Craig Erickson fumbles the snap. BYU recovers. BYU goes three and out. Thanks to their boom and punter, Miami starts at their own 35. They go three and out. BYU, with good field position, loses a fumble on their second play of the drive, giving Miami the ball in BYU territory. They get all the way down to the 11-yard line, thanks in part to a fourth-down conversion, where Craig Erickson throws a miraculously picked-off ball in the end zone. BYU goes three and out again. Boom and punt. Miami starts at their own 27. They convert a fourth and seven, but they effectively are dead when they can't convert a second fourth down from the BYU 25. It is um, it's tense. It's it's an interesting clash of like uh, there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of a style clash there on BYU's last possession where they're basically just trying to kill clock. They run the ball on first down and then they throw the ball twice and pick up <laughs> pick it up pick up like a third and eight to effectively kill the game. Um, it's also really weird to now watch a football game where there's nothing on the screen for most of the time. They will occasionally pop up the time when a uh, when the ball's about to be snapped. They will put up the down and distance. The score is not usually up there. It's just a very weird retro experience to be like, yes, this is how we all used to watch football in a mostly information void if you were just new, if you were just tuning in. Uh, but it still worked. Um, but how did the seasons end for these two teams? Well... 
despite despite Ty Detmer's Herculean efforts, uh, it wasn't a great season for BYU. It wasn't terrible. They still made a bowl game. They still finished respectably. They got killed by Hawaii, I think, late in the year. Uh, they lost the Holiday Bowl to Texas A&M. Miami has a very good season, but not quite enough to get into the national championship conversation. I think they lose one other game besides this to Florida State, if memory serves. They go to the Cotton Bowl and win against Texas. Texas and Texas A&M tied together for some strange reason in the 90s. Never again, though. Never again. Jason, what is your feeling about the eventual war man will have with machine? I think we need to get started right now. Uh, In fact, as soon as we are done with this episode, I'm going to throw my computer off the back of the porch, and then I will drop the big elbow on it. Can I ask you to do one thing before you do that? Uh, I will attempt to squeeze it in. Okay. First, I want you to go to Mm daily-harvest.com, enter the promo code SHUTDOWN, you get three cups free in your first box. There's an obvious weakness that humans have that robots don't, and that is our need to eat, right? Robots don't have to stop for snacks or breakfast or to poop. Contrary to many uh, popular science articles, robots don't poop. Do you have any good articles about robot poop that you could forward to me? Well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to print them out, and then I won't need to read them electronically. Uh, are you on a work computer right now? Yeah. Just Google ro- robot poop. Make sure safe search is off. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's why we're telling you, warriors against robots of the future to come, to go to Daily Harvest and get three free cups of this nutritious, high-quality food so that you don't have to worry about, oh, did I, what, did I go to the grocery store? What leftovers do I have to eat? These are all problems you don't want to deal with when the war against robots begins, which, again, you don't know when it will be. Could it be tomorrow? Maybe. Could it be a week from now? Maybe. Could it be while you're listening to this podcast, you are losing valuable time in the fight against the machines? Maybe so. But if you have already done your due diligence, tried Daily Harvest, you have some smoothies, you have savory bowls, you have overnight oats with fruits, with vegetables. They've already been shipped to your door. They are in your freezer. Your house is secure for now. And you can easily heat those up, add water or milk to the smoothies. You're good to go. You are fueled to fight for mankind's future. Once again, that's promo code SHUTDOWN for three free Daily Harvest Cups at daily-harvest.com. Ryan, do you think your freezer and microwave will be separatists and loyal to you? My freezer, freezer I'm not worried about. My microwave is suspect. I'm not going to lie. But I think I can bribe it. With Daily Harvest products? <laughs> With the promise of delicious Daily Harvest food. Just the aromas of Daily Harvest is, is enough. Because here's the thing. The robots, they have something that we don't. A constant craving for purpose. As you can tell, the shutdown forecast has never had that. <laughs> Neither have the hosts. But the robots, they want purpose. So what I'm actually, thank you for bringing this up. It's not that Daily Harvest is going to fuel us in our victory over the machines. It's that Daily Harvest is going to be what brings peace to the decades-long war between robot and man. If it doesn't, then we will be the Daily Harvest. 
Beyonce, Ariana Grande, and Drake are talked about ad nauseum as celebrities, but there's one thing that's rarely discussed, their music. On Switched on Pop, we go deep into the sounds of pop music to explain what it means, how it's made, and why it's so effective. We talk with some of today's greatest artists, producers, and journalists to decode the musical logic behind our modern soundtrack and understand its role in our culture. Switched on Pop will reveal for you how a secretive Swedish producer is behind many of the top 10 hits of the past 20 years. And we'll uncover the ways that songwriters embed their political activism into today's most popular tracks. We'll show you the surprising musical similarities between Cardi B and Taylor Swift. And we'll even dive into the classical past to hear how the Jonas Brothers mirror Mozart's youthful party days. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. Join us on a journey through the world of popular music by subscribing to Switched On Pop on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app to get new episodes every Tuesday. Can I remind everyone, by the way, as a fun fact of the name of BYU's defensive coordinator that year? Please do. Dick Felt. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. Like a puppet boner, Jason. <laughs> the um, This Miami-Texas game, is there anything noteworthy about the box score from that game by um, chance? Um... You, I I would have to look. You can remind. This me. is the game where no. uh, this is the Randall Hill finger guns uh-huh. game. This is the uh, Miami racked up oh, like seven hundred and eighty personal fouls and <laughs> and they won. I think forty six to three. They did. they did. This is the most Miami game of all time. And if not for fucking BYU, it would have probably clinched Miami the second leg of a uh, at least partial three peat. The Hurricanes set Cotton Bowl and school records for most penalties and most penalty yards in a single 202 game. 202 yards of penalty. That's Florida. Nine of those penalties were for unsportsmanlike conduct or personal fouls. You know, that's that's an ethos that's just ahead of its time is what I'm seeing here. And the, color, uh, the best part is for some reason on CBS, they have Mike Francesa doing color. On oh, God. This oh, yeah. That that's game. right. Those this is just a do- this is just a disgrace. This is my favorite uh, it, w- line from this Wikipedia entry for the 91 Cotton Bowl. Several national publications called for Miami to suspend the coach for part of the next season. That's Dennis Erickson. Parenthetical. These suggestions were ignored, and Erickson led Miami <laughs> to a national title that season. <laughs> I like that the most Miami team of all time was beaten by dudes named Earl and Ty. Yeah. Also... B-Y- BYU can fight. We've covered this. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was when they when they rolled up to fight Memphis in the Miami Beach Bowl. They were they were really just carrying on a legacy. This wasn't a new frontier. This was a reboot. Son. That's true. Lamar Thomas is is part of this Miami team as well. So you know how mad you know how mad all that bike riding makes you. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part of the BYU Miami box score is uh, other than other than the, the the thundering leg of our man Earl is. One team had five turnovers. Was it Miami? No. No, it was not. No, it was not. <laughs> They're just being neighborly. Yeah, ge- the generous, generous Cougars. It's also, uh, if you go back and watch this game, it's fucking loud. It is extremely loud in that stadium. I would, man, this is maybe for another episode, but have you ever played that game where you wanted to pit teams from different eras against each other? Not as, Not so much like, Good 92 Bama beat 2019 Bama. But, like, 
I want this Hurricanes era team to play Bronco Mendenhall's peak dick punching BYU teams mm-hmm. and just see who comes out on a stretcher. I want this era Miami team to play like the uh, let's say four years ago Miami team. Just, <laughs> fuck, fuck y'all! Comes out on a stretcher. I mean coaches. I don't want the players to get injured. I want them to you know hit opposing coaches. Let's Al Golden t- has died. <laughs> hey, that's not specific. But he's already dressed for his funeral, so we got that going for us. <laughs> My favorite Al Golden comparison remains the time Ryan said he was like a partially melted American girl doll. <laughs> so sweaty. <laughs> so that that game right there, BYU Miami, is a large part of the reason that this is the greatest week one blood week in the history of college football. You had number one, a a like dominant, imposing, extremely athletic talented number one going down um but that's not all of course we had you know colorado had a misstep we have number 19 clemson losing by 13 to lower ranked virginia which would matter uh for a while at least for like a month virginia football was very important uh clemson coach ken hatfield would soon choose to leave for rice Ooh. Making him the second Clemson head coach to choose to leave for Rice after Jess Neely in 1940. There's a pipeline. You know how those you know how those Palmetto State people they, love to die. They didn't write that into Dabo's contract. You'll notice. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the buyout is quadruple if he leaves for Rice. <laughs> uh, you also had Colorado. This isn't a loss, but I'm going to count it because after that struggle with Tennessee, they barely squeak past a four and four Stanford at home. Colorado looking real suspect. By the way, before the before the hard games begin, you of course have number eleven Illinois, which would beat Colorado again. Colorado quite suspicious, losing by twelve to unranked Arizona. Uh, number nineteen UCLA loses by twenty at home to lower ranked Oklahoma. Why was UCLA ranked, having gone three seven and one the year prior? <laughs> Why does UCLA play football in week one? <laughs> Why do they play it in the other weeks either? No, I mean, why does UCLA play football in September? Why, why, okay. can, shouldn't the Pac-12 just kick off in November? That's, yep. that's Disneyland pigskin classic time, damn it. <laughs> I'll go to Anaheim. I think uh, the, the reason, of course, that UCLA was ranked was they had future XFL MVP Tommy Maddox at the helm. Oh, of course. Good. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma, meanwhile, is quarterbacked by Cale Gundy, who is now one of like 14 different Oklahoma offensive coordinators. Wait, is had, that... Hmm. Is what? Yeah, it's it's the other Gundy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's several Gundys. Uh, you had number 21 Penn State losing at home to unranked Texas. No comment. This was 1990s Penn State. Well, next, uh, number 25 West Virginia lost at home to unranked Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the Missouri that would basically beat Colorado lost to three and five TCU. Again, Colorado is not really holding up well here. The Missouri that would basically beat Colorado would be a hell of a banner. Uh, actual national champ Georgia Tech beats a seven and five NC State. Georgia Tech handled its business. Um, so by the time the whole country had kicked off, eight ranked teams had suffered upsets, including number one. However, I have not mentioned the, perhaps the most entertaining of these games. Spencer, what do you have? Well, I really want to start a year earlier because we got to start this brewing for you, okay? Because we're talking about upsets in 1990. However, the foundations of this were laid well before then. Because this concerns the University of Alabama. And as we all know, the University of Alabama 
the drama never ends, and its its roots go back deep. They go they go decades deep. They're extremely fact. emotional men. It, it, deeply emotional men, deeply felt about their sport. Um, Dick felt. Dick felt about their sport. In fact, <laughs> hands on it because that's what that's how you show you mean. <laughs> hands on a hard body. So, Alabama comes into 1990 with a new coach. Their new coach is Gene Stallings, by the way. Because remember, after Bear Bryant died, uh, they kind of had a Bear problem. Bryant's not dead. He's frozen. That, that's that's right. And he will come back when Nick Saban retires. Like, Cap- like Captain Marvel, other planets needed him. <laughs> I went to Mars. They have no cigarette machines. Man, other, oh, planets, <laughs> other planets, you know who could really use like a post-Thanos cleanup right now is Gene Stallings. That man... That man would have the grill out. He would. He'd be, you know, he'd be like, "You snap, but I'm still here making burgers." <laughs> more, yeah. more burgers for Gene, actually. Yeah. Other planets like Arkansas and <laughs> Kentucky needed Bear Bryant. <laughs> Texas A&M, definitely another planet that Bear Bryant actually coached at. Uh, so did Gene Stallings, by the way, a job from which he was fired. In fact, Stallings gets this job not because of his record. In fact. His record when he comes to Alabama in 1990, uh, it, it's it's not real good. In fact, he said it wasn't real good either. Uh, they like he wasn't that great a pro coach. He wasn't that great a college coach. Actually, he comes to Alabama after three like two gigs with a 50, 81, and two record at, at both coaching the Cardinals of the NFL and A and M at college. Uh, how did he get the job? Uh, he was a bear guy now all the other guys before now when him, you say a bear guy a bear guy he uh as in played and coached for uh the man himself there that's are, less interesting uh, he always struck me as an otter yeah he's an otter man oh gracious that's definitely that was more of an otter kind of guy you can see him just shimmying down the hill at clemson can't you like you know they may give him a slip and slide i can see this sailing right over your head so <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I'm taking it in a completely different direction, ignoring that one. Um, I didn't miss That's that on Just like they do at Clemson. Yeah. The, this all started, though, because uh, you would figure, oh, well, we made kind of a weird hire, uh, and the, the year prior must have been sheer hell. This must have been a, a regime that had to go and was underperforming. No, 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 no. Alabama went 10-2 and two the year before. <laughs> They went ten and two. So when I well, say what things, happened to the two? Well, when I say things like, I have never told a joke about Alabama football. They'll fire ten and two. Okay, they'll fire ten and two easy. And I will give you the usual suspects in terms of ruining people's lives. One, Auburn University. Remember, the rule with Auburn is that Auburn ruins things. Auburn ruined Bill Curry's life at Alabama because you can win them all and be everyone else, and in fact, go undefeated the entire year of 1989 and Bill Curry gets all the way to the Auburn game and loses 2030 for the third time in a row never be Auburn in his tenure as Alabama head coach they then go to the to play in the Sugar Bowl against Miami Miami a convenient villain that they are handsome the 33-25 loss remember that one it comes back around so you think 10 and 2 I don't know got some stuff to go uh, maybe there's a problem here, but we can fix it because, you know, surely winning 10 games will save you because uh, that's just outstanding performance at any university. Nope. Uh, they cheap out Bill Curry on some assistant pay. There's a couple of other disputes. And Bill Curry does the logical thing. When life gives you lemons, you, you go to Kentucky. 
and uh, you take the. Or you go to Kentucky, and you better take the lemons with you because they don't have citrus. Yeah, and you know if you're going to make some 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 bourbon beverages, it sort of helps cut that, right? Mm. Uh, Bill Curry goes to Kentucky of all places, right? To prevent scurvy. <laughs> to prevent scurvy. Listen, Kentucky won't fire you if you're ten and two, will they? <laughs> no, one would have had to have gone ten and two. <laughs> they won't Bill even Curry fire. Does not as- do. As Bill Curry learned, they won't even fire you if you go four and seven or three and eight. We haven't talked a lot about the Alabama-Kentucky coaching pipeline. You <laughs> did the Bear Bryant in reverse. Bear Bryant went from Kentucky to Alabama. Bill Curry, he just flipped the script on everybody. Like, I'm nothing like you, Dad. <laughs> Bye-bye. By the way, worst blowout I've ever seen in person, Tim Couch running the option at 95-degree heat at Florida <laughs> And Tim Couch couldn't read. We know this now, right? <laughs> Listen, if he couldn't read, if he could read before that game, he could not read afterwards. Uh, the final score of that game, 73 to 7, right? Yes. Yes, that is correct. Seven, 73 to 7, because Bill Curry didn't hire Steve Spurrier when Georgia Tech was undergoing a regime change and Curry was taking over. And guess who happened to write that down in his little notebook of motherfuckers, I got a paste? That's right, Steve Spurrier. So. 1990, going into this, uh, this is Gene Stallings' first year. Expectations, um, one would assume that they're lowered. No, 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 no. Uh, Alabama, everybody expects him to win every single game. Uh, this is Alabama's first game of the season versus the University of Southern Mississippi on September 8th. All right. It is also someone else's first game, though not his team's first game. It is Brett Lorenzo Lorenzo Farms' first game. All right. Uh, Brett- Wait, is that for real? His middle name? Yeah. God, God, I just I want to live in the world, the universe that's exactly like ours, except Brett Favre goes by his middle name. Yeah, that's uh, that is that is the man, Brett Lorenzo Favre, Gulfport, Mississippi's own, uh, raised in the small town of Kiln. This is his senior year at the University of Southern Mississippi. He's got some pro notices, but you know, still relatively below the radar, uh, has a massive arm, and has a unique situation coming in because he didn't play in the the previous game, the Week Zero game for the University of Southern Mississippi, a lackluster 12-0 win over Delta State. 12-0 over Delta State, by the way, in 90-degree heat. Nobody needed to do that. Nobody. Just didn't need to happen. I'm going to go ahead, college football reference, strike that one from the books. Didn't happen. No one enjoyed it. Brett Favre didn't play in it. Not important. So he didn't play in that game. And the reason he didn't play in that game goes back to earlier that summer. You might sort of remember this, go, oh man, didn't like Brett Favre had some sort of like crazy car accident. Oh yeah, yeah, he had had an extremely crazy car accident. He was killed by Matthew Broderick. Oh God, (laughs) why did you have to remind us that Ferris Bueller killed someone with his car? Well, that took a turn multiple like you just have to throw out like the worst moment in people's lives just just throwing it in there and then he and then later he did a car commercial so <laughs> uh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna get this back on the rail by talking about something that will have to happen no none of it had to right. no no i'm todd vanderwerf the host of primetime a new show from vox.com This season, we're tackling the American presidency on TV. Stories that capture the way television affects and reflects politics and culture. We'll take a look at fictional presidents who've changed the way we think about the real Oval Office. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Good morning, everyone. Please, take your seats. 
and how real presidents use TV to further their own goals. What did you come here to plug? Have you heard of the Affordable Care Act? From the first TV president. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. To arguably the last. We are fighting the fake news. It's fake, phony, fake. Primetime from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Vox.com. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Spencer said he's going to steer this back on the road. <laughs> yeah, which Brett Favre did not do. Okay. Oh, interesting. On July 14th, 1990, um, Brett Favre went fishing uh, off Dauphin Island. A couple of buddies. They've been drinking all day. The sports editor of the Sun Herald told Jeff Perlman this for his book on Brett Favre. So by the time that they started to go, you know, like the hour and a half back to home, uh, they were, you know, at least coming down off of being pretty well lubricated. Uh, Brett Favre was allegedly above the BAC, according to the editor of the Sun Herald. Uh, and, you know, law enforcement helped keep that on the low. The wheels left the road at one point uh, that night on the way back, and uh, Favre's car flipped three times, all right? And uh, he came to rest uh, against a tree and upside down in the most Gulf Coast thing I have heard today. Uh, his older brother, Scott, rushed to the wreck and opened the door with a golf club. <laughs> That's a sturdy golf club. Other the, people, like, the seven iron of life. Uh, I'm, was, ho- I'm hoping he didn't pull it open. I hope he just had he had to tee off and <laughs> whack it open. It was, uh, I believe it was a three iron, according to the Perlman book. All right. And uh, he broke it. But, you know, don't call for the jaws of life. When someone from uh, when someone from the Redneck Riviera has a car accident, the guy with the irons in his trunk has this. Okay, so they pull Favre out before the car bursts into flame. Uh, Favre hit the steering wheel so hard it bruised his liver—a contusion-grade bruise against his liver. Um, he hit one entire side of his body is bruised. He has a bruised vertebrae. He has multiple cuts. Um, he suffers a complication as a result of, and I guess this is just to be just to be clear. Multiple cuts is the least important part of that you've said so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you got to do it all. You got to know how banged up this dude is because that contusion in the liver, your largest, you know, your largest non-skin. That's organ, not su- right? that's not super uncommon in like head-on collisions. No, it's though. not. What's what was the problem was the blood clot that formed afterwards uh, and necessitated the removal of thirty inches of his intestine. Hmm. Right. Is there a chance that he put his liver through so much that it was tough enough to survive this? Because this this is a man whose liver got a workout in the early 90s. Yeah, but I think that happened because he played for the Falcons. Well, there's that. But, I mean, he moved to Wisconsin after that, so <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty I- sure the... <laughs> I'm just I'm just gonna go ahead I'm just gonna go ahead and and blame that on Atlanta and Wisconsin, not on on one accident and drinking done during college. Although no 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 no, no, no. I'm saying I'm saying his liver was so tough that it was able to withstand this. Hmm. I think that's a valid point. He this can, is tra- this is liver training. But it had built up like a carapace around it of <laughs> of bud heavy, and now my liver is a beautiful butterfly. So Favre, uh, not exactly in the best shape, misses the opener, and they play their first real game against Alabama, okay? You go, oh, hey, you know, where was this? Uh, yeah, this was, this was at Southern Miss, okay? 
Which maybe that's not know. that's not right, is it? I thought this game was in Birmingham. Oh, sorry, Birmingham. They played at Legion Field. They played at Legion Field. Which again? Again, that's how you know things suboptimal. Maybe, maybe weren't right. Legion Field, the Southern Miss of Birmingham. You yeah. think you, you think your body's been through enough, Brett Favre? How about tetanus? <laughs> You've got it, whether you want it or not. <laughs> it's airborne. Uh, so uh, on one side we've got uh, Gene Stallings coaching in his first game. Might I remind you, Bear Bryant lost his first game. All right. Uh, on the other side we have Charlie Hallman. Every LSU fan of a certain age just puked. I'm really sorry about that. We should have had a Charlie Hallman uh, trigger warning here. We'll put it. We'll put it in the episode notes. Yeah, he's 16 and 28 in four seasons at LSU and finishes just like dead. Like LSU is just dead in the water. Uh, and later gives his job to Jerry DiNardo. <clears throat> Never coaches again. Like, Curly Holman can't get a high school job after that. That's how bad it is. Curly Holman, by the way, he's a bear guy as well. Eight and four in, in the year 1990 for Southern Miss. Southern Miss, did, uh, they played it close to the vest. They didn't win games by much. They didn't lose games by much. They end up, by the way, losing. Like, they didn't lose any of their four games by more than four points. And you're thinking, oh, man, they got Brett Favre. They're really letting it loose. Brett Favre threw for 1,500 yards that season. 1,500 option quarterbacks. There are option quarterbacks who had more uh, yards than Brett Favre. He also just throws seven touchdowns to six interceptions. You go, oh, man, that, that doesn't that, – that kind of sucks. That doesn't seem like exceptional performance. Oh, it is compared to Alabama's quarterback that year. Gary Hollingsworth. You ever heard of Gary Hollingsworth? No. Oh, you're going to remember this because he throws three interceptions on multiple occasions this season. He threw four against Penn State the year prior, <laughs> and they still won. <laughs> all right, Gary Hollingsworth, God, God among men. All right, uh, in this game, uh, it, it is a weird game. Alabama is up at halftime, but man, Gary Hollingsworth, he's going to chip away at that lead. He throws a pick six. He throws two other interceptions. Uh, Brett Favre, you go, man, he must have had a heroic day. Yeah, he got, he went out there. He played his first game of the season against Alabama in Birmingham, and he goes nine for seventeen with 125 yards. His biggest play is is getting annihilated on a late hit on third and goal to draw a first and goal and extend a TD drive that they finish off with a rushing TD. And he does, with a key pass, get them in position for the long field goal that, that seals the win to beat the Crimson Tide 27-24. Gary Hollingsworth, meanwhile... Three interceptions, baby. And then you know what he does versus Florida the next week? He throws three more all to the same guy. Well, like Brian said, now he knows how. (laughs) He he had... I think that's called getting reps. He threw them all to Will White, safety for Florida, all right? And Will White... just being true to your brand. Yeah, and Will White, when asked about it after the game, said, and I quote, he really looks at his receivers. <laughs> um hey hey who was who was um who was that fine young quarterback's position coach at the time? That'd be oh yeah, the offensive coordinator at the time was Mal Moore. Interesting. Thank you. No further questions. Uh, yeah. Mal Moore later paid all this back by becoming the athletic director, helped hire Nick Saban. Like I, I don't know. He 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 got it back on the back end, y'all. Okay. He made up for not tutoring uh Gary Hollingsworth correctly. Hollingsworth, by the way, finishes with <clears throat> Four TDs. Sorry. Sorry. Did you say four? Like a single digit four? For the entire season of 1990. All right. He finishes with four touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Jesus Christ. 
<laughs> and averaged a whopping 3.4 yards per attempt. I think that's that's adju- that's adjusted. That's not total yards per attempt, but it's still terrible. It's so it's adjusted. Yeah. But you know what? I don't care. You can- <laughs> well, like adjusted, that means like uh, penalizing you yards for say interceptions. And sure. Right. <laughs> there was a lot of those. No. Yeah. You're right. No, he threw him big. He didn't like. No, I think I think most of his pick sixes were like seventy yards the other way. He had that Jarrett Lee thing of where if I'm going to throw it, I'm going to throw it real big. So Gene Stallings becomes the first Bama coach since Bear Bryant to lose his opener. He takes number thirteen Alabama instantly out of national title contention by losing to Southern Miss. And then ensures it by losing. I want you to just imagine this, okay? Imagine this. The guy who's the new coach at Alabama with a losing record coming in loses his next two to Florida and Georgia. <laughs> and then loses 9-0 on the road and <clears throat> state. But it doesn't matter. Why? December 1st, 1990, they beat Auburn 16-7. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> no one Bill Curry couldn't do. Yeah, he wins in games. He got numbers on the board. They go undefeated against everybody else. Can't spell 10 games without a zero, Paul. But, but when it comes time for Cowtown to feel some shame, guess who got that whooping <laughs> stick? That's right, Gene Stallings. Uh, they also beat a Tennessee that was number three at the time. I already said that. <laughs> we're just we're just reviewing Bama season. Like, like that's a nine six game. Just nobody won that game. I already the, said that. The uh, if you go by just raw points, uh, Bama's defense was fifth in the country. Bama's offense was out of only one hundred and seven one A teams, 69th. scoring Time. only twenty one points a game. Yeah, because beaten up by that Bama defense in practice all week. <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah. And, you know, like this was, this was, you know, like this was kind of Southern Miss's thing. They beat Florida State the year before to open, um, to open the season. And then they went on to uh, finish eight and four and Curly Holman uh, bound for glory takes the LSU job. And uh, it's after four years is never seen again. Just, just absolutely botches it. Meanwhile, Gene Stallings goes on to win a national title uh, and beat, and beat who? Uh, that beat Miami. Beats Miami in the Sugar Bowl. So he he, he ends up coming full circle, Gene Stallings. Uh, so where you start is where you start is not where you finish, all right? But where you start is sometimes hilariously bad. Oh, that's way too on brand for the full cast. So speaking of full circle, um, here's an example of the challenge of evaluating teams by transitive victory which is a thing people like to do during the season when it works out better for their teams. Why but is my team? We recognize in general that we just do that for fun, right? Right. Of no, course. No, it's the only way to measure. Yeah. Cool. I mean, never mind. If, Carry on. If you take transitive victory seriously, take a real honest shot at doing the entire 20 top 25 based on nothing but that you'll give up around like 16 and then you'll, you'll never bring it up again. But Foot, I do, I do want to raise this. Football is a food chain. That's how it works. <laughs> so, uh, BYU beat Miami 28, 21 Miami beat Texas 46, three Texas beat Texas A&M 28, 27 Texas A&M beat BYU 65, 14, <laughs> You figure out that little loop right there, uh, and and you know. All I'm hearing: Texas A&M national championship claim. 
Gagum. The uh, let's see, nine, three, and one. Perfect. <laughs> Hey, this is Dieter Bone. I'm the executive editor at The Verge, and I'm also one of the co-hosts of The Vergecast. It's a podcast that we do every week about what's happening now and what's happening next in the world of technology and culture. So my co-host Neil and I just got back from the Google I.O. Developers Conference. And while we were there, we held a live podcast with the two people that are in charge of Android, Steph Cuthbertson and Hiroshi Lockheimer. Now, if you don't know, Android is the most popular computer operating system on the planet. More people interact with computers via Android than via anything else. So we talked to those two about what's new in the upcoming version of Android, how it's going to get more secure, how they're going to update it, and a whole lot of other stuff. It was a great conversation and just a ton of fun to do in front of a live audience. So if you want to listen to it, just search for Vergecast in your favorite podcast app and you'll find it. And while you're there, please subscribe because we have great conversations like this every week.